Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, as we look into your word, will you look into our hearts, our souls, our minds, Lord, and change us. Make us more like Christ. Lord, in the areas where we need to be challenged, we pray we're open to your spirit challenging us. In the areas where we need encouragement, Lord, inspire us by your word. But Lord, help us to live kingdom first lives. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Please be seated. My three-year-old son will turn four in about a week. We are um, excited. Um, He is a fun little kid. Um, He's a little different from my other two, as anybody who has kids knows. All your kids are different from all your other kids. And, And he is the one that has the most gusto. Um, he's the one that will say whatever is on his mind, and he really doesn't care what you think about it. And he comes up with just random things as he's doing his own thing. And this morning, he, we were getting breakfast, and he asked if he could have a granola bar. I said, sure. So he goes over to the pantry, and I follow him. I said, pick one out. And I'd just gone to the store, and so there were a couple of different boxes. And he said, I'm looking for my favorite one. And he pulls a box out, and he looks at it. That's not it. And he pushes it back. And he pulls out another one, and he goes, ah, my precious. (laughs) I I have not seen a better imitation of Golem than that. And he has never seen those shows. And so I pull that out and I give him the bar and he walks over and now my other son who was six has learned to open granola bars and I thought he would just give it to his brother. I was kind of busy and so he takes it over there and he goes to the table. And a few moments later I look over and my son, my almost four-year-old son is holding this granola bar and a pair of scissors and he's got them backwards and he's doing this and I thought, I am so glad he did not poke his eyes out. But even more, I am so glad my wife is not here to see what I did. (laughs) But this is my son. He just kind of does his own thing. And so I asked him, in light of this message this morning, I just wanted to get a perspective. I said, buddy, how does a person get to heaven? And he said, they die. I, I said, okay, that's true. That, that, would, that part's, you know, got to be there. I said, but like, like how, did they, how did they get there? Like, is it just, and he goes, they fly. You die and you fly. That's how you get to heaven. This is from a three-year-old. I am not sure the answer would be much better by quite a few people in our culture. I do hope It's better in this room. But today, I have one question, and it's the question of this text. How do we inherit eternal life? Talk about a basic question. I I told my wife, I've been stressing over this sermon all week. Because the most basic questions are the hardest ones to preach. They're the ones that you look out and you go, okay, okay. You all know what I'm going to say, so why am I up here? 
And some of you are like, well, sit down so we can go home early. But it's that. And yet it's also, I would argue, the weightiest question you can ask. If we go on, if life is eternal, then there is not a question more profound, not that we should ask, but that we should answer, than how do we inherit eternal life? So that's what we're going to do this morning. Open up your Bible to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. Our gospel reading this morning actually introduces this passage where Jesus talks about you must be like a little child to inherit the kingdom. And and the way Luke writes this is verse 17 says, Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And a ruler asked him. Luke presents this as these things flowing together. So Jesus has just said, unless you're like a child, you cannot enter the kingdom. And so this rich ruler asks, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And the question comes off of it. You said this, and it's as if he says, well, okay, but what about me? What do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And before answering the question, I want to answer this question. What does he mean? I've preached on this before. Heather has preached on this before. Um, If you've sat in conversation probably with either one of us, you've heard this before. But you need to know this. He is not asking, how do I get up there and live in the clouds? That's not the question he is asking. He is asking, how do I inherit life in the next age? That life is going to go on and it's not going to be an ethereal existence in the clouds. We don't become spirits. We don't become angels. It's nothing like that. He's asking the question, how do I inherit this age that God is going to bring in? How do I get that life? And here, let me just give you a description of what they were thinking of that life. In God's new age, so the Jews believed, Everything will be new, fresh, and free from corruption, decay, evil, bitterness, pain, fear, and death. How's that for a world? And that's just the beginning. There will be new possibilities, new opportunities, new joys and delights. Heaven and earth will be joined together and God will be with his children to live with them. That is the state of the things that people were looking for when God would finally rule. That's what he's asking. How do I inherit that? How do I inherit this life where there is no sickness, where there's no decay, where there's no hate, where there's no pain, where there's no evil or sin, but there is life and joy and beauty, and wonder, and God is dwelling with his people. How do I inherit that? That is a much bigger question than what sometimes we are asking, which is, how do I get to heaven? 
this is long-term, a new kind of life. How do I get there? That's his question. And I would argue it's the biggest question we can ask and, more importantly, answer. How do we inherit eternal life? How do we go on to that age to come? In 1912, the Titanic sank. In 1981, they finally discovered its wreckage. 1981, they were able to discover where it was at. They went down to it. They took pictures of it. You can go online. You can see the wreckage now. It exists in an entirely different world than we do. 13,000 feet below the surface. That's its world. It's very dark down there. It's, it's filled with... We can't just jump in that water and, and go down there. Because it's a different existence than what we have. Although, next year, in the spring, 1818. Sorry, 2018. 1818 is a long time ago. 2018. You can contact Blue Marble Private... It's a company that sets up excursions for people. You can contact them, and you can take a pod down to see the Titanic. They're going to be doing trips down to the Titanic. It will only cost you a little over $100,000 per ticket. But you can go see the Titanic if that's what you want to do. They will bring you into that world and let you see it. A different way of asking this question. What would you give to go into this next world? To go into eternal life? How much is it worth to you to go there? So here's what I want to do. First, I want to tell you, and this is not me. This is Jesus. You either believe him and you trust him and you think he's a smart guy or you reject what he says. That is up to you. But he is going to give the rich ruler some ways that will not get him to eternal life. And then he's going to give the one way to get to eternal life. How can we not get there? Look back at your Bible. Verse 18, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life. And Jesus said to him, and his quote here has been debated and argued and talked about and everything else since it was recorded. Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Now, the theological part of this and where a lot of the debate has been, if he is fully God and fully man, if he is perfect and not sinful, then of course he's good. What does this mean that he says these things? Set that aside for a moment. Because that is not at all what the rich young ruler would have heard. Uh, he was not thinking in those categories. I will tell you the categories he was thinking in and what this might have meant to him. And I'm going to rephrase the question. This guy, we know from the three different accounts that he is young, he is rich, and he is a ruler. Now you put all those together, he is very likely not a religious ruler. He would have needed to be older. He's probably a secular ruler in some sense. Maybe political. So his question is what he would have done in a crowded room when he was talking to somebody and wanted to get something from them. Hey, I know how good you are at this. Now, I've got a question for you. His question is flattery. 
His question is, I'm going to build you up a little bit and see if I can get the answer that I want to get from you. And Jesus' response is this. You know that only God is good. Why are you calling me good? And he leaves it there because there's only one reason he'd be doing this. You're trying to flatter me. You don't actually believe what you're saying. You know that only God is good. Why are you calling me good? Because you want to get something. Can I tell you that won't work? You cannot flatter God. You can't manipulate him. All this singing that we do, we're singing his praises, and it's a good thing. But can I tell you, he's not up there going, okay, I feel better about myself now because you said all those things. Thank you. I was kind of feeling down a little bit. What do you want now? Just ask. I'm going to give it to you. You cannot flatter him. You cannot manipulate him. Now, we don't typically do it that way, but how often do we do it this way? Lord, I have done so much for you. Now you need to. Lord, I've given these things up. You shouldn't let this be in my life now. Lord, I have prayed over and over and over again. You need to now respond. We have our own ways that we may be manipulating God. It does not work. It didn't work for him. It won't work for us. And it certainly will not give you eternal life. But here's what Jesus says to him. He leaves the question, doesn't address it. It's, almost, it's like a hypothetical because the rich young ruler knows. Verse 20, you know the commandments and pay attention to the ones that he lists. These are all out of the 10. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. Every one of those commandments is relational. He doesn't mention a single commandment that goes directly to God. He hits the relational commandments. Right? Here's all these things between you and other people. And the man's response, and he said, all of these I have kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he does not correct him on that. Not in any of the accounts. He does not say, well, not really. Like, you stole that thing when you were younger. I saw it happen. Uh, he does not correct him. He lets that stand. So for a moment, let's just say that this rich young ruler has treated people well. But one thing you still lack, and you can almost see the guy going, let me know. I can do it. I mean, I'm, I'm very successful here. I am rich. I am young. I've done all these good things. Like, just tell me what the next thing is. He says, one thing you still lack. Sell all that you have. Distribute to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Guarantee you he wasn't expecting that response. Go sell. Go get rid of all your riches, all your wealth, everything. Get rid of all of it. Give that to the poor, and then I want you to come follow me. And here's the response. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. Okay, this was not an easy thing for him. Um, this wouldn't be like, well, I don't have much anyway. 
I mean, here's my little, you know, one-bedroom home, and I guess if that's what you want, I'll get rid of and go follow you. I sleep on a dirt floor anyway. This is, I am rich. I mean rich. You want me to sell all of that? And he gets sad. And here's the response of Jesus. Jesus, seeing that he'd become sad, said, how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel, the largest animal in Palestine, to go through the eye of a needle, about the smallest thing you could find, than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. All right, some of you in this room, oh wait, compared to them, almost everybody in this room, you're rich. Compared to the rest of the world, you're rich. There are very few people in our congregation that are not wealthy. Now, some of you are wealthier than others, but we fit this category. How difficult it is to have wealth and enter the kingdom of God. Why? What does that have to do with the commandments? And he lists above. Those who heard it said, then who can be saved? Ow, like, who can possibly be saved? So I want to say two things. Number one, this is a means by which many people in our culture believe they're going to inherit eternal life. Or at least get to heaven, or at least get to the afterlife in a good way. Whatever they may be thinking. As long as I do enough good It'll outweigh my bad. The scales. Right? And let's all be honest. Don't tell me that you don't sometimes have those scales in your own mind. Don't tell me that sometimes you're not thinking to yourself, if I do enough good, God will listen to me. If I'm not acting in a bad way, God might hear my prayer. Hey, we do it too. Maybe not to the extreme. I remember having a conversation with somebody one time. I was somewhat new in the faith. And she said, I am a Christian. And I said, that's awesome. Do you believe in Jesus? She said, yes. And I said, I have trusted him. I'm sharing with her. I'm all excited. I have trusted him for my salvation. And she said, well, I just think I do enough good that I'm going to get in. I said, what about the bad? And she said, well, I've done more good than bad. And I just hope it stays that way till the end. Boy, that's a precarious place to be. I mean, even if it were true, like, how do you know? How do you know what the evaluation is? And, 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 and I'm trying to push her. I'm very young. I don't know what I'm doing. And I'm trying to push her. But, but that idea is out there. Can I just tell you? Here's the problem with the view. There aren't scales, period. There's nothing to throw your good on or your bad on. There aren't any scales. You cannot do good to get into heaven or to inherit eternal life. You cannot do good to do it. This guy here, he has done more good, if this text is accurate, than probably anybody in this room has done. And Jesus is still saying you lack something. It's not enough. Because it's not about how much good you do. But that leads him to then say it's hard for a rich person to enter, and the, the disciples go, wow. Who can even do it then? What the heck is wrong with wealth? Like, what's the problem with it? I'll tell you what. We would not be in this building if some of you didn't have some money. We wouldn't be doing church. We wouldn't be supporting Restored Hope. 
We wouldn't be doing any of the missionary stuff that we're doing. There's nothing, I mean, what's wrong with wealth? We need some of it or we can't be doing what we're doing. What's wrong with it? Here's where I think he went. There's a reason he mentions all of these commandments over here that are relational. And then he left the commandments over here that are God-focused, Yahweh-focused. And there's a reason that this guy turned away. Do you know what he's relying on? His wealth. You know why he can do the things that he does? Because he trusts in the security that his wealth is providing him. What makes our wealth so hard? Because we rely on it. Even more, and this is in his case, even more than we rely on God. Here's why it was so radical in his case. The only way you can fully rely on me is to eradicate that thing that you're relying on that is not me. Not everybody had to get rid of wealth. Zacchaeus, the very famous story of the short tax collector. He does not sell everything that he owns. And yet Jesus says of him, salvation has come to this house. Because what Zacchaeus did is he followed and he relied on Jesus even though he had some wealth. Because it's not money in particular, but it is what money can do to us. But it's not just money. It can be success. It can be how smart you are. And we have some smart people in this room. There are all kinds of things that you can be relying on finding security in, finding hope in, that is not God first. That's what he's getting at. One thing you still lack, you are holding on to your wealth and it is giving you a security that only God can give. And you know what? You have no treasure in heaven. You cannot buy your way in to eternal life. Bill Gates cannot buy his way into eternal life. Does not matter how much money you have because that money doesn't pass over. The only thing that passes over is treasure in heaven. That's what he mentions here. He gives a couple of different things that will not work. Right? You cannot manipulate or flatter God no matter what you do. You cannot do enough good to get in no matter how much good you do. And your wealth, anything you rely on, anything you rely on that is not God for eternity will fail. It will not get you in. I don't like going to the dentist all that much. Maybe you're with me. I went to the dentist recently for a cleaning and I walk in, I sit down, and he begins to get ready for my cleaning. And he takes out like these big old, you know, glasses and he puts those on. And he's putting other stuff on. And um, it looks like he's putting like ComGat gear on. And I want to ask him, like, hey, doc, what are you expecting to come out of my mouth here? Why are you putting all of this on? And then I look over at his tools. Have you ever looked at the tools? They don't look much different from like medieval torture devices. And so he's picking these things up. He's got one in each hand. And he's putting them into my mouth. And that's not enough. His assistant has to come over and she's got them too. She's putting things into my mouth. And they're going at my mouth with like multiple. He's, and he always does this. Like he's a really nice guy who remembers stuff. And he always waits until there's like 14 devices in my mouth. And then he says, 
So how's the church going? <laughs> what? I don't understand you. <laughs> and someday I want to walk in with like a baseball bat. And I want to say, put this in your mouth. Now tell me why you went into dentistry. That's what this whole thing is like. And he is just going to work and going to town on my teeth. Now, before coming in, my wife said, so you're just going in for a cleaning, right? And I said, yeah. She said it should be about 15 minutes. 15 minutes came and went. And then 30 minutes came and went. Like my jaw is, I mean, it won't close anymore. It's just stayed open. And, and he's just still going. And I'm thinking, what in the world have I done to my teeth? Like, what have I eaten? And, and why is it my wife can get out in 15 minutes? And I'm going on 35 now and still going. 40 minutes in, he finally stops. He goes, how are you doing? He said, you had braces, right? Yeah, I got them off about a year ago. He said, your teeth had so much gunk on them still from where they pulled the braces off. I've been getting that gunk off. I looked in the mirror. All right. I get my braces off. This is such a great moment. And I'm just so excited. I've had them on. I'm like, yes, my teeth, they, they're looking all good and stuff. And I smile at my wife. And she gives me this look like, we spent $5,000 for that? She didn't say that, but you could see it. She's like, oh, they look nice. And I'm like, what? And I look in the mirror. Like, I, I don't know what it is, but my teeth are just all, they're nasty. And I have spent the last year trying to get this gunk off my teeth, thinking this is just what my teeth are. And I am flossing and I'm, I'm using Sonicare on like high speed, extra batteries, <laughs> trying to get the stuff off my teeth. Nothing is working. 40 minutes under my teeth. This guy pulled a Jesus on my teeth. <laughs> they are white as snow. They have been redeemed. Right? But I could not do that. I did not have the tools. I did not have the instruments. I did not have the skill. Nothing I could do could get that gunk off my teeth. That is going into eternal life. There is nothing you can do to cleanse yourself of your sin. Because you are the one that has the sin. There is no instrument. There is no tool. There are no good deeds. There is nothing you can do. Only he can do it. Will you let him do it? Because that's the response that Jesus gives. Look back at your text. Who can be saved? You see, in their minds, if you are wealthy, it's because God has blessed you. Most of the world at this point is not wealthy. Right? And if you're wealthy, it's because things are good and God is blessing you. And if the wealthy can't get in, oh my goodness, the rest of us, yeah, we don't have a chance. And here's Jesus' response. But he said to them, what is impossible with men is possible with God. The reason you have to give up your wealth is because you have to rely completely on God. The reason you have to give up your intellect and your good deeds is because you have to rely completely on God. He is the only one that can get you into eternal life. He is the only one that can scrub you free of your sin. The only one. And here's what the disciples say. And Peter said, see, we've left our homes and we followed you. Okay, now remember, let's back up. We got a Pharisee and we have a tax collector. And a Pharisee has come and said, 
I stand justified before God because of all my good. And the tax collector comes and says, Lord, have mercy on me. And Jesus says, only the tax collector went away justified. Then he tells this story where he says, only the children. If you're not like a child, you cannot inherit the kingdom of God. So here comes this ruler that goes, well, what about me? And now we've got the disciples. They're asking the question, right? It's all in this line of teaching. And here comes the, the disciples and they say, see, we've left our homes. We followed you. Have we done enough? And he said to them, and you'd kind of expect him to say, you missed the point, right? Because they're asking, have we done enough? But he doesn't. Truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. Wait, wait. I thought we couldn't do anything. I, I, I thought it was only God that can do it. I thought it was impossible even for wealthy people to get in. So like, what? Is Peter not getting it? Is, is Jesus not getting it? Is he changing his mind? Is he given a different way? What is happening? You cannot do anything to merit eternal life. But there is one thing you have to do to rely on God. Renounce everything else. Let me show you what I mean. And by the way, when I say renounce everything else, I don't just mean bad things. I mean everything. They're renouncing family and homes. Um, family and homes are not bad. I mean, they're good. But I mean everything. Right? Um, I'm going to do something that is going to get me in trouble. But I get in trouble all the time. And so, Aaron, will you please come up here for just a minute? I'm hoping because she's already been up here a lot, it might be okay, but. <laughs> I want to show you what renouncing is. Hey, for maybe the few of you that you don't know, this is my wife. Right? This is my only wife. I don't have any others, although I have, never mind. Um, I have no other wives. This is my only wife. And it is not because, like every other woman in this room or every woman that I've ever known or every woman in the world, it's not because all other women are bad. It is because I have renounced a relationship with any other woman except her. And isn't that the bedrock of marriage? Isn't that what we're doing? What we're saying is my devotion is to you alone. And to nobody else. And in order to make that, I have to renounce all other women, all other relationships, and say, this is my one and only. That is what he's asking for. That, that standing right here would not be your good deeds, your family, the way you were raised, the religion you were raised in, uh, your intellect, Whatever it is that you might put there where he says, I want you to renounce all of those things and rely on me completely. Whatever that might mean for you. Until he is your one and only way of confidence, of getting into heaven. Now, I have her up for two reasons. I do rely on her. 
I draw strength from my wife. Uh, when I go through hard times, I look to her, but I cannot look to her before I look to him. I cannot look to my finances before I look to him. I cannot look to my education before I look to him. And I cannot trust anything for my eternal life other than him. Does that make sense? Thank you. All right. Here's the part that I think gets a little hard. I think most of the people in this room, you are believers in Christ. Most of the people, if, if not all of them, um, you are inheriting eternal life. You've, you've trusted in Christ. Right? Very, very basic message. You trust Christ for your eternity. You trust that he died for your sins and was raised to life that you might have life by trusting him, not trusting what you can do. I think that is probably true for most of the people in the room. If you've never done that, please consider your answer to that question. How will you inherit eternal life? Because there is only one way according to scripture. Only Christ has done what Christ has done. Nobody else has and nobody else could. We trust him. But I will also say this. There is something in here that I, I find fascinating where he says, who will not receive many times more in this time. Do you know that when Jesus came, he broke into our reality with the kingdom there? Like we don't see the fullness of it right now, but the kingdom is active right now on earth, in the church, in God's people, through his spirit. It is active right now. And God wants the kingdom to be a part of who we are and what we do, how we live, how we relate right now. All those things I described, part of that is right now. But right now, as you put your trust and your confidence and your faith in things other than God, it will stand in the way of what God wants to do in your life right now. Maybe it doesn't impact your eternity. Maybe you have a good relationship with him. And overall, you're trusting him, but every part of your life that you don't give up to him, it will stand in the way of things he might do in your life right now. Will you sacrifice everything, renounce everything to have something far greater than you could ever bring into your life by yourself? We need to take that Titanic trip and I want to flip the picture to bring this to a close. I talked about it as we could go down and we could see the Titanic. But here's the thing. If you go back to when the Titanic was made, this was the invincible ship. This was the largest. This was the beautiful. This was the thing that was, I mean, it was amazing and awesome. And everybody wanted to be on it and take this voyage. And as they're making their voyage to New York... At least three times, it may be four, it may be five, at least three times, they are given a warning that there are icebergs, that they should slow down, 
And there is debate as to whether the captain decided he would keep going. This was going to be his last voyage. They wanted to get there on time. Or whether it was the sponsoring group that was encouraging the captain. No, you keep going because we want to get there on. We want to get there early, actually. But they kept the speed up. It could have been avoided. Like, they could have not sunk this thing. So here's this beautiful, gorgeous ship. You know, the height of technology. And it sinks to the bottom. It sinks into darkness. It begins to decay. There's a remnant of its beauty still. Um, You can look at the pictures. And there's still something there. You know this was a majestic, beautiful thing. But right now, it is decayed. It is dark. It is falling apart. But, and it's kind of interesting. They do an illustration of what this might be. Um, and and it, it's, it's an illustrative thing where they show the Titanic, and it's actually in a little better shape than it actually is in the pictures. And then they show this white, like, little pod coming down. There's light shining off of it, and it's going down. And, uh, but you know what? Our world was created by God in perfect shalom. It was created in order and in harmony and in beauty Without decay, without sin, without sickness, without any of that. We sunk this sucker. And it is sitting in darkness. But you still see the remnants of its beauty. You see it in people. You see it in nature. You still see the remnants of what God made as his creation. And yet we also see all of the hate and the darkness, and the sickness, and the decay, and everything that's a part of it. And it's not us that came in the pod. It's not us that was the light that came down. That was Christ. That was God leaving the beauty and perfection of his home to come to ours. To exist in our world to rescue us but we have to be rescued because here's the thing. In a year, you can go visit the wreckage. In eternity, he's going to raise it. It's not a visit. He didn't come here to go, oh, look at all these people that are all neat and kind of falling apart. He came here to rescue us. He came here to raise us back up. He came here to save everything that is in darkness and decay and sin and bring it into the peace and love and harmony and shalom of God. That's what he came for. Will you be a part of that? Not just then, but right now. We have that privilege and honor and calling in our lives. Give it to him and live in the kingdom. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, there are no words, there's no amounts of thank yous or gratitude that we could express that would fully express what you have done on our behalf. Lord, please help us to understand it more. Lord, enlighten our eyes right now. Show us some of the areas of our lives where we really are leaning on things other than you. And Lord, if there's anybody here who truly does not know you, Lord, help them to come to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, to put their trust in him, 
above anything else. Lord, and then take us on this journey, this journey towards reconciliation, this journey towards beauty and peace and harmony, Lord, that we get the privilege of being a part of that is worth renouncing anything for. Lord, thank you for your love. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.